I got asked by a number of media when I first started what was my vision for Wanaka and it always intrigued me because as I said to them it's not my vision for Wanaka that's important it's what does Wanaka want for Wanaka. Let's be leaders and exemplars and, and not be afraid of having uh, courageous conversations. Hello and welcome to Travel Beyond, where we partner with leading destinations to explore the greatest challenges facing communities and the planet, surfacing their most inspiring solutions. I'm David Archer, Editorial Manager at Destination Think, and I'm recording from Dajing Geats, British Columbia, a village in Haida Gwaii, the territory of the Haida Nation. And on this show, we're looking at the role of travel and we're highlighting the destinations that are global leaders. We talk to the changemakers who are addressing regenerative travel, through action in their communities, often from the bottom up. And we're actively looking for the best examples of efforts to regenerate economies, communities, and ecosystems. We know that there are examples out there and that there are many that many stories that need to be told that may have not been yet. So be sure to reach out if you have a story to share with us. Hi, David, and hi, everybody. I'm Rodney Payne, the CEO at Destination Think, and I'm recording this from Revelstoke in Canada a city on the territory of four First Nations, the Sinaiks, the Sequetmec, the Silks, and the Tunaha. Hi, Rodney, and it's good to be back for another episode. Last time we heard from Matt Woods, who's the CEO at Destination Queenstown, and Matt told us all about why the district made a new destination management plan in the first place and how it led to the goal of carbon zero by 2030. And today we're going to hear from Matt's counterpart at Lake Wanaka Tourism, Tim Bark, who is the CEO there. But before we get there, let's listen in on a short conversation Rodney had with Darren Rui, the founder of Taketuya, which is a Maori cultural consultancy dedicated to supporting people and organizations as they look to connect and engage with Te Ao Maori, or the Maori worldview. And he's going to talk a bit about Mana Tahuna Charitable Trust, which is a community organization based in Queenstown Lakes. Here we go. For um, the Māori community in Manatahuna, today's a combination of uh, the last four years where uh, we went into COVID and because Manatahuna was a springboard from uh, COVID in terms that we wanted to support, empower, enable the Māori community and so the hard work that Manatahuna and the community has done is being realised here today we talk about reclaiming this space because of uh, what was here before and that's through a, the, uh, the hard work and the conversations that we've had with the leadership in this town, so the council, the mayor and all that, getting them to understand that Waitangi is about uh, Māori and New Zealand, it's not a multicultural day. Uh, so we, get to, we now get to talk, tell our stories today. And the significance of the site for us is pretty uh, epic and it was one of the two or was the chief of this area and so uh, sometimes he would come and settle in this right in the spot where we are so that recognizes that uh, uh, Michael and I and many of the Manatahuna members uh, Mana Whenua, 
uh, Naitahu, so it gives us the ability to uh, stand in the spot as well. So, yeah, that's the and and tell our story and get uh, a lot of the other community groups can come into the space and tell their stories as well. So that's uh, that's the really cool thing about today. And then we then we celebrate as well all the cool initiatives that Manatahun is working hard on, supporting the community, supporting youth, getting into digital spaces. Uh, the tile, the environment. Uh, we work at uh, and with the leadership, so we work with the council, and in some areas we're working with uh, the, whether it be the uh, local territorial authorities. Uh, we work with them and government agencies. So we're not a silent voice, and we believe that we can provide uh, leadership in terms of what happens here and what and how you can put a Māori lens can add value to that. And that's been something that we've worked really hard on in terms of the stuff that Michael and his team are doing and other uh, leaders of our initiatives is creating uh, credibility with the likes of Matt and uh, Trent and the, uh, the council and all that. So they've seen us grow and they've seen us advocate and lead in that space. So. Now it's good to be at that table and have those conversations. You yeah. must be proud of Mike, eh? Yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's doing really well. Uh, thinks he knows more than me, but that's fine. <laughs> we don't separate the environment, so the, the environment is part of us, and we are part of the, envir the environment. So the ability, the ability to uh, connect, support uh, that space, is really underpins everything we do. And you know, and we need to be role models. So in everything we do, we need to be good role models because, uh, as we know, as Māori, if we if we go off beat, then suddenly that that's the first thing that gets picked up. So we're really aware of that. Of let's be leaders and exemplars in, in the areas that we're in, and not be afraid of having uh, courageous conversations. And that was Darren Rewi, and he mentioned his son, Mike Rewi, and we'll hear from him a little bit in a moment as well. So, Rodney, can you describe the event where this conversation happened? Yeah, so in New Zealand, uh, every year they uh, commemorate Waitangi Day, which was the, the day where a treaty was signed between the Maori people and settlers. And that, that treaty is quite unusual uh, in other parts of the world, um, where there there was a an explicit agreement on how um, the two peoples were going to come together and, and cohabit, and what was really amazing uh, about the event uh, that Darren was speaking from, where we recorded that interview, was uh, the Maori community in Queenstown has really reclaimed Waitangi Day and and made it their own, and there was a lot of uh, pride that you could feel oozing from the community there. And it was, it was very special to be invited and, and to be part of that. All right, let's go back to that event and hear from Mike Rewi, who leads a community organization called Mana Tahuna Charitable Trust. Uh, so I'm Michael Rui, I'm the Chief Executive Officer at Manatahuna Charitable Trust and today is our community whānau event uh, celebrating Waitangi Day Te Rituri or Waitangi. 
So uh, Manata this is really the, the, the this is what Manatahuna is about right now. So we're all about uh, ensuring the Māori and Pacifica community are looked after, uh, we're participating in society, but also that they're comfortable here. You know, there's some statistics, uh, council statistics around Māori not feeling comfortable in, in Queenstown. 48% of us don't feel comfortable living here because there isn't as much kaupapa Māori things going on. So that's what we're really trying to do here is bring Māori kaupapa to the forefront, celebrate it and get the whole community involved. So for us as Māori, we've got such a small, close-knit community here, we want to keep us here. So the more people don't feel comfortable, the more likely they are to relocate out of Queenstown, out of Tahuna. So it's important for us to maintain a solid Māori base because we are Tangata Whenua, we are the people of the, of the land. And so for us, we need, we need that strong connection here because it's, it's interdependent with the Pākehā community as well. We, you know, they're, they're getting educated through our kaupapa and we're um, allowing, allowing them to celebrate with us at the time. But today's about whānau, it's about manatāhuna, the whānau community, the Webster whānau and the council coming together and celebrating what it should be about Waitangi Day. February 6th was the day back in 1840 that our treaty between uh, the Māori Komatua, the chiefs and the crown was signed. Um, took about 150 years for our settlement claims to start being enacted but this is really a celebration of the day we signed the treaty which gave us a document to actually stand on which I think is a different, a different thing that Māori have compared to other indigenous cultures around the world. A huge thank you to Darren and Mike, among others, for the privilege of attending that Waitangi Day event and for speaking with uh, Rodney and uh, Steve, our recordist. And by now, listeners are probably starting to get a picture of the widespread collaboration that made the Carbon Zero by 2030 goal possible. And speaking of collaboration, we'll spend the rest of this episode with Tim Bark, the CEO at Lake Wanaka Tourism. And he is going to tell us about the work he has done alongside Destination Queenstown, which is the neighboring regional tourism organization. Rodney, given your long experience with these types of organizations and tourism boards, why is this kind of cooperation so significant? I think it's unusual to see two tourism boards who would normally be competing uh, come together to work on something. And I think it signifies that collaboration around a, a massive ambition is, uh, is important and, uh, it strips away silos and, and boundaries that can build up over time. And, and that coming together, you know, really is an example of the type of collaboration that I, I think a lot of communities need. All right. Now let's go speak with Tim Bark, the CEO at Lake Wanaka Tourism. I think I know the answer to this one, but I'll start with an easy one. Uh, can you just tell us your name, role, who you work for? So I'm Tim Bark. My role at work here, my kaimahi, is I'm CEO of Lake Wanaka Tourism, um, but I'm also the chairman of the Otago Conservation Board. And forget about work for a second and tell us about the real Tim. What do you, what do you love and what, what makes you tick? I love Aotearoa. I love the 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 water, the land, the mountains. Um, I grew up, I refer to myself, if I'm introducing myself, in, in my, my pepeha is um, I'm a etama or pewhairangi, which is a, a boy of, the, of the, the waters of the Bay of Islands, which is where I grew up in Northland. So I just love the, um, the place where I grew up and the, the culture of where I grew up, where there was a really 
a high population of Māori, so um, at school there was the majority were Māori, the non-Māori were mi minority. The stories, the um, the interpretations of the world around us, and the yeah, just the the way that Māoridom explains the world. But then the natural resources that we that we live in, the, the water and the as I said, the land and the and the sky and the mountains and it, how it all interrelates. Um, and I love helping people have fun, and I, lo I love telling stories. Why do you love living here? There's something about this place, um, and we were talking about it earlier actually, but the, the wairua of the place, the, it's the energy, the spirit of the place, and it comes from all of those things we were talking about, the, the natural world around us, but also the communities. Um, and here is really, quite unique in all of the places that I've travelled where you've got all, all different walks of life in the community and businesses who are incredibly aligned with what they want the future to look like for this place. And in a nutshell, they want the future to look like very much what we've got now, but better. So being in a role where I can help influence the way tourism is operated, um, and we've, we're lucky enough to have tourism business members who are really aligned with, with wanting to create that future as well. So being a participant in that is, is pretty exciting. How would you say that living here informs your values and appreciation for nature? It's not so much informs my values, but really it sort of reflects what's important to me. In Māori there's a, a word, um, taonga or taoka is the local dialect, which are the things that are most precious to you, um, the things that you value the most. And you, can you only have to you know, stand anywhere in this place and look around and you can see those, those taoka right in front of you. But it's not just objects or, or things that are physical, it's also the, the feeling that you get, the wairua of the place how healthy it is, the, the modi, the life force. Um, and the lifestyle that you have here, the things that we love to do. And one thing that I've found in, in Wanaka and, and the wider Queenstown Lakes District is that so many people know what, they, what we've got and they want to make sure that we've still got that for our great, great, great grandkids. So what we're trying to do now is coordinate all of that desire and the various skills and contacts and expertise that people have so that we're all pulling together as part of one big ecosystem rather than a whole bunch of different silos trying to do good things on our own. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became the CEO of Lake Wanaka Tourism? Sure, that's how long you got. <laughs> <laughs> My first foray into tourism was I started I learned to dive when I was 14 and loved it and then realised that people were getting paid to go diving so I pestered the local dive shop till they gave me a job um, filling dive tanks and then I started guiding when I was 16 while I was still at school, worked my way up through the, the courses and the qualifications and became a dive master as soon as I was old enough at 18 and then soon after an instructor and diving and fishing you get to see what's happening in the environment as it happens, positive and negative. And so that really instilled in me from an early age this 
wish to do all of those things, to be able to continue sharing what we have with, and tell the stories of what we have to the people around us and the people who visit our manuhiri. Um, but also on how we can enhance those things over time and utilize our industries like the visitor industry to be able to do good things rather than just being extractive. So I, long story short, I went through, um, I've spent 30 odd years running tourism businesses, mostly in adventure tourism. And then the previous role to this, I was running a business called Totally Tourism, which had 13 tourism companies. I, COVID happened and I effectively ended up having to restructure myself out of a job. So I went cutting wilding pines for four months with my 19 year old, uh, loved it had went from 250 staff to my biggest decision being what was going to be on my sandwiches the next day which was a nice mental break and then was standing on the side of a mountain cutting a pine tree down and Matt Woods who was the chairman of Lake Wanaka Tourism called me and said Tim what are you doing would you be interested in coming stepping in at Lake Wanaka Tourism as um, as the general manager and so I jumped at that and then ended up applying for the permanent role and I'm, I'm now CEO in the, in the permanent position and ironically Matt Woods is now the CEO of Destination Queenstown um, and traditionally well in the past both the districts or the, the, um, the locations have been quite competitive whereas we both thought that was a waste of time so we've collaborated really tightly on developing this destination management strategy for our our district working with Queenstown Lakes District Council to make sure that our plans aligned with theirs and any plans now or in the future that they're producing align with the kaupapa or the um, the intentions of what our, our destination management strategy is and we're working with Kaitahu and also the Department of Conservation to make sure that as we develop it and move into the future, all of the, the, our kaupapa align to be able to utilise our businesses and industries to help continually add value to the place and our natural resources or in Māori, um, te taiao. So our environment and our, our um, all living things, but also the landscapes and our communities. Could you just quickly explain the unique structure in the district here? How the, you know, just quickly to, to explain to me um, how the, the district council and the two RTOs are structured? So we, as we talked about um, our roles as, as tourism organisations, as an industry and in talking to our communities, and they were telling us really strongly that we need to change the way that we work with tourism and operate as an industry and other industries moving forward. So council has, as you know, a really key role to play with um, the infrastructure and planning and managing the way the, the, um, the district operates. But there are often perceptions within communities that council should fix everything and council's responsible for this or the Department of Conservation should fix that. And what we quickly came to the realisation was that we can actually play a role to help connect all of those pieces and 
help facilitate, create an environment where people who have good intentions um, and want to do good things but don't know how to activate that, to be able to give them the, the connections and knowledge of, of how they can do those good things and get them, get them going. So working with council, we got a clearer understanding of what their kaupapa was, um, what their intentions and planning processes were, um, but also could inform them with their plans as they develop them in the future. And the, the destination management strategy is actually now a part of the, um, the spatial plan which is developed by council and will be a key part of it moving forward into the future. Can you tell us a little bit about the process that the steering group's been on to engage with the community and um, reflect? Yeah, so to go back sort of to when I first started in this role, this was prior to the destination management strategy being um, started. I got asked a number of, by a number of media when I first started what was my vision for Wanaka and it always intrigued me because as I said to them, it's not my vision for Wanaka that's important, it's what does Wanaka want for Wanaka. Yeah, so we went out to our local community and asked them a list of, of basic questions. Uh, the first one was, what do you love about this place? What drew you here if you came from somewhere else? And if you were born here, what's kept you here? What are your Tauka or your taonga, what are the things that, that you treasure the most about this place and your life and your lifestyle here? What are the things that are most precious to you and what do you want to protect or enhance or want more of or less of? And then what do you want the future to look like for your great, 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 great grandchildren? And then let's work together to look at how we can utilise our industries of which tourism is just one to help change the way that we do things to make sure that we can deliver that future and we asked um, people of all ages school kids from primary school up to high school um, people in business people in community groups um, volunteers uh, people who are employed people who are unemployed all, all sorts of as we tried to get into as many corners as we could and we did that here in Wanaka but also um, in Queenstown and we had multiple sessions some of them were question and answer sessions, some of them were workshops. We got involved with the WAL Summit um, where we had a whole day of, of sessions with multiple talks but also workshops where we got these groups together and, and thrashed a lot of these ideas out. Um, and that, as a steering group we created a, a wireframe as what we thought this destination management strategy should have included in it. Once we got that wireframe, we asked Destination Think if um, they would help us drive this forward and actually get it to a full strategy plan stage. So the steering group met for, a, to be honest, around about two years, uh, at least once, often twice a week, and gradually and we talked with lots of different people and and kaitahu and the department of conservation as i said and gradually built this picture of what the community wants and then created a, a a formulation of how we would create that into actual action that we could make these changes um 
and that's how we've gotten to where we are now. The strategy is great. It's a, it's a, a plan of attack or a plan of uh, approach as to how we, we make these changes. But the real challenge now is, is getting things implemented, which things were already underway, but building momentum to help. We can't do it all as a steering group or individual organisations, but we can help facilitate the community to drive this stuff moving forward. The great thing is we have an amazing community with so many hands coming up saying, I've, I've got an idea, how can I get this underway and how does that fit into the bigger picture? Doing it as a coordinated effort. And could you talk a little bit about the level of ambition that's resulted from that process? Yeah, the level of ambition is really interesting. Um, we thought we were being ambitious with uh, what we thought could be achieved. And we thought that might press the boundaries and test the boundaries of our, our community. What we found was the com communities going, yeah, that's great, but you're not going hard enough. There's, you know, we're under time pressure with climate change. We need more urgency. You need to be bolder. Be brave. Um, don't do cookie cutter. Don't do things how it's always been done before. Think outside the box and get all of us together to help drive it forward and really try and push the boundaries at pace. And what's that resulted in? The result of that is we are now, uh, we came with the, the destination management strategy, we created a whole bunch of projects, 20 projects, to help drive these well, initiatives to drive forward and get this progress that we, we really need to do at pace. One of those projects was Project 9, which was around decarbonising the tourism industry. Um, and we looked at that and thought, if we can achieve that, there are so many other projects that will be automatically enabled and driven forward at pace far faster than we would be able to otherwise. So we thought, okay, to be able to do this, when we need to have a deadline as to, you know, a goal as to when we're going to do it by. And we toyed with different, different deadlines, whether it was 2050 or 40, or, um, and we landed on 2030 because that made everybody uncomfortable. And we thought, okay, that's the idea. If we can do that by 2030, that's going to drive some real acceleration in initiatives because there's a, a time pressure which isn't going to be easy to achieve. So we went out and socialised that with our community and our or communities and our businesses and we thought okay maybe this is really pressing the boundaries with them and we're going to get a lot of pushback. Um, what we found was that people were kind of taken aback um, but invariably there were a few people who thought no this is impossible you're not going to do it. The vast majority uh, from community and businesses said yep, wow big ask, how do I get involved? What do I need to do first? You know, I'm, I, want to, I want to get there as well. I can see the benefit of having this time pressure, but we're, doing, we're wasting time just talking. We need to get, get moving. So show us what we, can, what we can do to get involved and let's get going. So it was, it was really, really interesting and quite surprising how strong that feedback was. Massive ambition doesn't come out of nowhere. Can you tell us a little bit about what's already happening 
around the community in Wanaka and Queenstown and the Lakes District? Yeah, so I, th I think that's really one of the key things. Uh, often when, you know, we create plans like this or strategies to, to try and do good things moving forward, there's sometimes a subconscious or conscious, I don't know, um, assumption that we're starting from scratch. We knew we weren't starting from scratch because there are a lot of great people and great organisations, um, both voluntary and not-for-profit and, and also businesses who have been doing really good things for a long time. What we found though, that there was even more of that happening than we even realised. So, yeah, they, there are so many people in the community and organisations, as I said, who are already doing great things like WOW and Waiwanaka, for example, and Three Lays Cultural Trust. Um, there are Tracks and Trails Trusts, there's, there's Southern Lake Sanctuary, there's, I can go on and on and on, uh, um, Te Kākano. All of these, all of these organisations, most of them voluntary, who are working to try and achieve this. But what we're finding now is we're getting a much closer coordination between what each other are doing. So rather than just replicating and, and spending the same energy doing the same things, we're finding out, okay, if you're doing that, I can help you in this way, but then I can focus on this, and these people will help me on that. And you're just getting a lot of this, this web of, of um, of, or strands of interest and, and mahi or work that are now being woven together as part of the fabric of, of this kete or, or carry bag of the mahi or the work that we're driving into the future. You had a really unique childhood close to Maori culture and I, I'm wondering how that informs your view of placemaking and destination management but also maybe flows into the community's values? Um, yeah, I, w I was, I probably didn't realise it at the time how fortunate I was where I grew up and that I, I grew up in the Bay of Islands in Northland, was born in a little town called Kawakawa. Um, my mother was born in the Hokianga, um, dad was born in Kawakawa. Um, and there are a lot of, there's a high population of Māori, um, primarily Ngāpuhi in Northland. And as we grew up, it's, there's a lot of um, te ao Māori or the, or the Māori world, you're surrounded by it and it's, it's just normal. Every, it's easier to be familiar with um, Māori concepts and, and you get more exposure to Māori tikanga, which is um, traditional protocols and the way of doing things and Mātauraka Māori or Mātauranga Māori um, ancient Māori knowledge which gets passed down and also because we we grew up really close to Waitangi which is where Te Tiriti o Waitangi was signed, the, the treaty between Māori and the Crown um, back in 1840. That's just down the road and just down the road literally from um, where we used to have the diving fishing business. So a lot of New Zealand's um, history from a uh, especially post-European settlement um, and the interaction between Māori and the, the, the British and French and Dutch 
people who came and colonized the, the place, a lot of those stories are, well, there are a lot of those stories around the Bay of Islands. So growing up, we learned those stories. As the, it was taught to us that that's part of our responsibility being from that area. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the different innovations that you're seeing around the district and in, around Wanaka? There's a lot going on here. Oh, yeah, I mean, where do you start? There's, there's so much going on. Um, the design of tourism products to incorporate things like, you know, there are, there are tours that incorporate trapping um, to get rid of stoats, weasels, rats and mice, and that, that's just part of what they do on their tours. There are other ones where they're planting trees. Um, there are other ones where there are innovations in um, agri-technology, agri um, agriculture, regenerative farming techniques, concentrating on how to nurture the, the ecosystems in the soil and have them growing healthier all the time rather than being depleted. There is a lot of innovation in construction and passive house and energy retention. Um, there's a, a lot of work around um, all, or even technology, film production, um, things like jet boats being invented, um, a, a coal-fired steamship, which they're now looking at turning into still being a steamship, but making it hydrogen powered potentially, or uh, all sorts of innovations. The, uh, and even in sailing, you know, the, the hydrofoiling um, that completely transformed the America's Cup. And now they've got the chase boats, which are electric hydrofoiling boats, which, and that technology is now being developed to create public transport. So all sorts of stuff. What message would you like to share with the community about Carbon Zero 2030 and how, how they can help make it a reality? What I'd like to share with the community is that this is a reflection of what you've told us. I think that it was the council said to me that this is by far the most engaged, community involved or planning process that the, the council has ever been involved in. And the whole cope up from the start, the intention and purpose from the start was to hear what the community wanted, what they wanted the future to look like, and then reflect that into the planning process and the plans that come out, and then the actions and projects that come out from it. Um, another thing that the community told us is how they wanted to know how they can get involved. So this whole process has been designed so that there will be multiple ways and opportunities to get involved, even to drive projects yourself. So if you're, if you're enthusiastic and, and keen um, and have ideas, come and talk to us because we can help connect you with the other people in the community that can help get this stuff off the ground. What does Wanaka look like in 2030? Wanaka will look like in 2030, um, similar to this but better. <laughs> I hope. Wanaka, what we're hoping is that um, by 2030 there will be, transport will look different. There'll be some stuff that will look the same but might be propelled differently. There will be technologies available to, to help um, transition from, for aviation, for road transport, um, to private transport. 
there will be uh, transportation systems where people can, more people can move together in a public transport system that we just don't have right now. Um, there will be opportunities for people to enable them to get into zero carbon emitting transport um, options available for that. That's what we're aiming for, is to create an environment where it makes total sense and it's easier, far easier than it is now, to be able to do the right thing and achieve that future that we want to achieve. And it's, it's, it's going to be a journey. It's not all going to be easy, but it's the ideas and the mahi or the work, um, the mahi, mahi tahi, the, the, the joint work working together to, to actually achieve this. But the enthusiasm that we've heard from the community has been amazing. So we just want to try and help create the connections and the environment where this can happen. How do you feel about the commitment? Nervously excited. I think there are some huge opportunities by having such a tight deadline to be able to accelerate the pace at which we can achieve so much more than we would be able to if we were aiming at 2050, for example. So I, it's, it's really exciting already the number of people from all around the world who are showing interest and putting their hand up to try and help. So really excited. Last question. Do you think this community can do it? I think the community can do this. I think together, again with Mahitahi, working together, we can do it. This has been Travel Beyond, presented by Destination Think. And that was Tim Bark, CEO of Lake Wanaka Tourism. And we'll include links to more resources on the blog for this episode at destinationthink.com slash blog. My co-host is Rodney Payne. This episode has been produced and has theme music composed by me, David Archer. Lindsay Payne and Annika Rautiola provided production support. Steve Henderson of Arcade Motion recorded this season's interviews on-site in Queenstown Lakes. We would like to thank Destination Queenstown, Lake Wanaka Tourism, and Queenstown Lakes District Council for their participation, their boldness, and for their trust in Destination Think throughout this project. You can help more people find this show by subscribing to future episodes and by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Next time, we'll speak with Trent Yeo, the executive director at ZipTrek Tours. Trent is a tourism entrepreneur who has spent his career educating people about travel's impact on nature, and he'll give us a view into the tourism innovations happening around here. See you then.